We're going to be learning in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi, the third piece in Hochus Rotzeach. This is Perak Tes Halacha Tes Vav. And Rab Chaim is continuing the theme from the previous piece about what the status of an Eid Echad in the case of Egla Rufa is. But here he's focusing on someone who's a non-kosher witness. So a woman or a slave, someone who ordinarily cannot give testimony. When it comes to Egla Rufa, they are believed. But the Rambam makes a distinction between a kosher witness and a non-kosher witness. The Rambam said in in the previous halacha that if two witnesses said we saw the murder and one witness contradicted them so the two witnesses are believed and there's no egla arufa but the other way if one witness said I saw the murder and two witnesses contradicted him so they did do the egla arufa now the Rambam continues this only applies when the three witnesses in the case are equal status so they're all kosher or they're all not non-kosher. But if one kosher witness said, I saw the murder, and then two non-kosher witnesses contradict him, so they would not do the Egla Arufa. So those are considered equal testimonies, one kosher witness against two non-kosher witnesses. And the other way, if two non-valid witnesses say, we saw the murder, and one kosher witness contradicts them and says you did not see the murder orphan. So they would do the Egla Rufa. Because even if there's a hundred non-kosher witnesses against one kosher witness, we consider it like one against one. So there is an Egla Rufa. So Rab Chaim asks on the logic of these last two cases. In the case where the Eid Echad says, I know the murderer, and two non-kosher witnesses contradict him, the Rambam ruled that there's no Egla Arufa. But in the reverse case, where the two non-kosher witnesses say that they know the murderer, and one aide contradicts them, so the Rambam said there is an Egla Arufa. So what's the difference between these two cases? If we consider them contradictory testimonies, because one kosher witness is the equivalent of even a hundred non-kosher witnesses. So in both cases, there should be no Egla Arufa. Why in the second case does the Rambam rule that there is an Egla Arufa? And furthermore, the Rambam in the parallel case in Hilchus Sota, where there's the same dynamic, so there he writes explicitly that if the kosher witness and the non-kosher witnesses come at the same time, and the kosher witness says, I saw the Sota have an affair, and the non-kosher witnesses contradict him, so there they all cancel each other out, since they all came at the same time, so the first witness's testimony was never accepted before the non-kosher witnesses contradicted him. So they all cancel each other out and she does drink the sota water. So why didn't the Rambam make the same distinction in this case that if the kosher witness and the non-kosher witnesses all come at the same time, then we don't believe anyone. They all cancel each other out and they do Egla Arufa. Here the Rambam just says anytime the kosher witness says, I know the murderer, even if the non-kosher witnesses contradict him, there's no Egla and he didn't differentiate between if they all come at the same time versus where the kosher witness came first. So what's the difference between these halachas versus the framework in Hilchus Sota? 
So Rab Chaim answers that there's a fundamental difference between the laws of Sota and the laws of Egla Arufa. When one witness says, I know the murderer, and the other witness says, no, you don't, the second witness is not commenting on the case itself at all. The second witness does not testify regarding the actual murder. He's only contradicting the first witness. The first witness said, I know the murderer, and the second witness contradicted that first witness's testimony by saying, no, you don't. So there's no such thing as these two testimonies happening at the same time because it always has to be chronologically that the first witness says, I know the murderer. And then following that, the second witness says, no, you don't. There is no way for the second witness's testimony to have any meaning before the first witness gave his testimony because the second witness is only responding to the testimony of the first witness. So that's why the Rambam doesn't differentiate in the laws of Egla Rufa whether the kosher witness came first or they all came together because there is no such thing as them coming together. By definition, the kosher witness had to go first. He said, I know the murderer. And then the non-kosher witnesses contradict him. So no matter what, the case is always going to be that the kosher witness went first. And as the Rambam previously said, once the Eid Echad's testimony is accepted, it becomes like two. So that's why the non-kosher witnesses are not believed because all the non-kosher witnesses in the world can't shake the testimony of two witnesses. So once we accept the testimony of the first witness, it's considered like two witnesses and now the non-kosher witnesses are not able to change that. But that's different than the situation in Sota where one person says she committed adultery and the other person says she didn't. So they're not just contradicting each other, they're also doing that, but each of them is saying, something about the actual scenario of the Sota. One of them says, I saw the adultery. And one of them says, there was no adultery. So they're both commenting on the actual story. So there it's possible for the kosher witness to come first, or it's possible for them all to come together because since they're each discussing the story, their testimonies are not dependent on each other. They could all be given at the same time. So that's why the Rambam differentiates that if the kosher witness came first, so then he's believed against the non-kosher witnesses and she doesn't drink the sota water. But if they all come together, so then none of them are believed, they all cancel each other out and she does drink the sota water. But says Rab Chaim, this is not true that there is no halacha of the two testimonies happening at the same time in the laws of Egla Rufa because the Rambam himself did mention that case. If there are two kosher eight echads, one says I know the murderer and the other contradicts him. So there the Rambam differentiates if the one who says, I know the murderer came first, so then he's believed against the hachasha. But if they come at the same time, so neither of them is believed and there is Egla Rufa. So we see that this same distinction of coming at the same time can apply to the laws of Egla Rufa, even though the second witness is only contradicting the first witness. So this seems to undercut Rab Chaim's whole idea. So Rab Chaim explains that there's a difference in Egla Rufa between kosher witnesses and non-kosher witnesses. The whole concept of bivas achas 
that the two witnesses come at the same time only applies to kosher witnesses. Because since both of them testify and their testimony is accepted in Beistin, it's a real valid testimony. So there is such a concept as bivas achas at the same time, even though the second one is only contradicting the first one. Because since the court is accepting the testimony, they create the situation that they're both there at the same time. Even though obviously one of them has to testify first, but through the court accepting the testimonies, they get the status of having come at the same time. In addition, when it comes to testimony, there's a rule of toch kadei dibor that anything that's within three or four seconds is all considered at the same time. So likewise, if one of them testifies and then the other immediately afterwards testifies, so that's considered at the same time. But that only applies to valid witnesses invalid witnesses, even though they're believed, but that's a din ne'emanus. They're believed, but their testimony is not accepted because they're not kosher witnesses. So of course the court cannot accept their testimony. So there is no way for non-kosher witnesses to be considered at the same time when all they're doing is contradicting the first witness. That by definition is considered chronologically second because since the court is not accepting their testimony, it's only believing them, there's no way to combine all of that together and consider it at the same time. And additionally, since the court is not accepting the testimony, there's no toch kadei dibor that's going to combine it. So that's the distinction. When we're dealing with non-kosher witnesses in the laws of Egla Rufa, there is no at the same time. It's always considered chronologically, first the testimony that I know the murderer, followed by the hachasha. But when we're dealing with kosher witnesses, so then the testimony in court all combines together. So even if the second witness is only contradicting the first witness, it's still considered at the same time. So that's why the Rambam differentiates when there's two kosher eid echads, that there is a concept of bevas achas, as opposed to this one after the other. But that distinction is not going to be relevant when there's a kosher witness who says, I know the murderer, and and non-kosher witnesses disagree with him because that's always considered a chronological case where first comes the Eid followed by the non-kosher witnesses who have no believability because the first witness is believed like two. So that explains why in that case there is no Egla Arufa. Now, based on this, we could also answer the first question Rab Chaim began with. Why in the opposite case, when there's two non-kosher witnesses who say we know the murderer and then a kosher Eid Echad says, you don't know the murderer. So the Rambam ruled there is an Egla Rufa in that case. And Rab Chaim had asked, why is this not considered one witness against one witness? So there should be no Egla Rufa like in the reverse case. Says Rab Chaim, now we understand this because when the non-kosher witnesses come, their testimony is not accepted in court. So when the kosher Eid Echad contradicts them, it's considered bivas achas, like they all came at the same time. And the halacha is that they all cancel each other out, so there is an Egla Rufa. So this explains the distinction between these two cases, because it has to do with the fact that one kosher witness's testimony is accepted by the court, as opposed to the non-kosher witnesses, even though they're believed, but their testimony is not accepted in the court. So that's why it plays out differently depending on who came first.
Now Reb Chaim adds another conceptual distinction between Sota and Egla Rufa, which is further going to clarify the Rambam's distinction. When it comes to Sota, if two witnesses say that she committed adultery, it's not that they prevent the Sota waters. They're not talking about the Sota waters at all. All they're saying is that she's no longer a suffix Zinsa, uncertain whether she committed adultery. She's a Vada Zinsa. She certainly did commit adultery. So that ends up affecting the Sota situation because Sota only applies to a Suffolk, not a Vadai. But the witnesses themselves are not commenting at all on the Sota water or the Sota situation. They're just saying that this woman committed adultery. Now in the brackets, Rab Chaim asks, the Gemara in Sota Dafavav says that if there are witnesses that know she committed adultery, even if they're not here, they're away in a distant land, the Sota waters still won't check her. So that does seem to imply that the witnesses contradict the Sota water, there's some sort of direct connection between having witnesses and not doing the Sota waters. So Rab Chaim counters that even that halacha can be explained that since there are witnesses who know what happened, so this is no longer the typical Sota scenario where it's a suffix, this is now a vadai, and the Torah never created the Sota situation when it's a vadai. So even that halacha can be explained as an indirect relationship between the witnesses and the Sota water. Since there are witnesses, she no longer meets the criteria for Sota, so the water are not going to affect her. But how this works in Sota is different than Egla Rufa, because Egla Rufa, there's no suffix. Either we know who the murderer is or we don't. Now, the Torah said if we don't know the murderer, there's an Egla Rufa. If we do know the murderer, there's no Egla Rufa. But there is no case of Suffolk where potentially we know the murderer. So if the witnesses say we know the murderer, that directly contradicts the Egla Rufa. So there is a direct contradiction between the witnesses' testimony and the Egla Rufa as opposed to Sota where the witnesses indirectly get rid of the Sota waters. But all they're really testifying to is that this woman is no longer a suffix. She definitely committed adultery. So now, putting this together again with the difference between a kosher aid echad versus non-kosher witnesses. So Rab Chaim says the kosher witness has the status of testimony. It's considered edus, even though there's only one witness, and generally we need two witnesses. But since in this case we accept what he said, so it has the status of edus, it's considered full testimony. As opposed to the non-kosher witnesses, even though we believe them, but they can cannot be considered testimony because they're non-kosher witnesses. So what they have is ne'emanus, believability. They are believed about what they're saying, but they don't have the status of testimony. So now based on this distinction, when one witness gives one of these testimonies, so not only is he believed like a non-kosher witness, but he also has the status of testimony. When he's then contradicted by non-kosher witnesses, so that hachasha is able to weaken his believability, but it's not able to weaken his testimony because the second group never gave testimony. So the first Eid Echad had not only believability, but also Eidus. The second group of non-kosher witnesses contradict him, so that removes his believability, but it does not contradict his Eidus because since they never gave Eidus, they're not able to weaken or to contradict the Eidus aspect of the first witness. 
witness's testimony. So at the end of this situation where a kosher witness testifies, I know the murderer or I know the woman had adultery and then non-kosher witnesses contradict him even though they cancel each other out so nobody is believed, but there is a lingering edus from the first witness which does not get canceled out. And Rab Chaim calls that a yidiyah, some sort of knowledge about this situation. Now, applying this back into Sota and Egla Rufa, so when it comes to Sota, this lingering yidiyah is not going to make any difference because the issue here is whether this woman committed adultery or not. We need to know, is she a Suffolk or is she a Vadai? So since the one witness and the non-kosher witnesses are contradicting each other, so we don't believe either group, so since there are no witnesses to testify to what happened who are believed, so we remain a Suffolk. We don't know if this woman committed adultery, so therefore she drinks the Sota water. And that's the way it's going to play out in Sota because even though the witness's testimony that he knows she committed adultery still lingers, but it doesn't matter because he's not commenting on the Sota water directly. He's commenting on the case whether or not she's a Suffolk or a Vadai. So since we don't believe him, his testimony doesn't affect the Sota waters directly. As opposed to Egla Rufa, where his testimony is directly contradicting the Egla Rufa. He's not just telling us about the situation at hand. He's directly saying that there should be no Egla Rufa. So now, even though the non-kosher witnesses contradict him, so we don't believe either group, but there's still a lingering Yedia. There's a lingering testimony that this witness knows the murderer. Nobody ever got rid of that. And that Yedia directly contradicts the Egla Rufa because Egla Rufa can only happen when nobody knows the murderer. Here, there is a kosher witness who's stating that he does know the murderer. Now, even though we don't believe him because he's contradicted, but since that lingering testimony that he knows the murderer remains, nobody was able to contradict that or remove that, so therefore we don't do Egla Rufa. So this again is going to explain the distinctions the Rambam makes between Sota and Egla Rufa and within Egla Rufa itself. Because in the case where the non-kosher witnesses say we know the murderer and then the kosher witness contradicts them. So since they're all believed about this matter, so they all contradict each other. So we don't believe anyone and we do the Egla Rufa. But in the opposite case where the kosher witness comes first and then the non-kosher witnesses contradict him. So again, they all cancel each other out. We don't believe anyone over the other. But the one kosher witness who came originally, his testimony, which is a status that the non-kosher witnesses don't have, that still lingers. And that's considered a yidia, some sort of knowledge about who the murderer was. So that directly prevents the Egla Rufa. So that explains the distinction between those two cases and it also explains why in the equivalent case in Sota we do give her the Sota waters because even though the same lingering Yedia is there it doesn't directly contradict the Sota waters because we need to know whether this woman committed adultery and since we're not sure about that it remains a suffix so in that case we do the Sota waters so it accounts for the distinction between the Rambam's framework in Egla Rufa versus Sota. But now in the last paragraph, Rab Chaim asks, as he very often does, that there seems to be a contradiction to the whole way he's portraying this kosher witness in this case. Because Rab Chaim is saying that not only is he believed, he also has the status of edus. But says Rab Chaim, that's difficult because in general for Sota and Egla Rufa, you need two witnesses. One witness is not believed at all. The only thing is that the Torah said, 
to give a specific testimony that he knows the murderer or he knows the woman committed adultery, there he's special believed. As the Rambam writes in Hilchos Edus, In two places the Torah believed one witness, that a sota doesn't drink and Egla Rufa not to do. So the Rambam is saying very clearly that the one witness is not just believed to say whatever he wants in this case, he's specifically believed to give these testimonies. So now if we're saying that inherently you need two witnesses, except that the Torah allowed specific testimonies to be believed with one witness, so maybe it's not true that that one witness has the status of an actual edus. Maybe the Torah just said that he's believed, even though in general he wouldn't be believed, here he is believed. But there's no indication that he actually has the status of a witness. So that contradicts Rab Chaim's whole point in this piece, that the one kosher witness is not only believed, but he also has the status of testimony. So Rab Chaim responds that even though theoretically we could have presented it that way, but there's a good amount of evidence the other way that this one kosher witness not only is believed, but he also has the status of a witness that it's considered real testimony. So Rab Chaim quotes three places from the halacha where this seems to be. The first is the Rambam himself. He differentiates that the whole halacha that we bolster one witness in these cases to have the power like two witnesses that only applies to a kosher witness, not to non-kosher witnesses. Now, says Rab Chaim, if the kosher witness is just believed, so what's the difference between a kosher witness and a non-kosher witness? Why is the Rambam differentiating between them? So it must be that the Rambam understood that when the Torah said that one witness is believed in these cases, it means if he's a kosher witness, he's believed as a witness, not just that we believe him, even though he's not considered a valid witness, but he's actually considered considered full testimony. So we believe him. And not only do we believe him, but since it's considered full testimony, so we believe him as if it's two witnesses, which is different than non-kosher witnesses, even though they are also believed, but since they don't have the status of testimony, so they're not believed as if they're two witnesses. So this ruling in the Rambam differentiating between one kosher witness versus non-kosher witnesses indicates that the Rambam understood that when the Torah said we believe one witness to give these specific testimonies, it means not only that he's believed, but he also has the status of a full witness. It's considered real edus. So that's why we can apply the rule that it's harehu kishnayim. It's like a full testimony of two witnesses. The second piece of evidence is from the Gemara in Shavu Islamid Beis. The halacha is that if a witness denies that he knows something and he swears and it was a lie, so he has to bring a certain sacrifice to atone. Now that that applies equally to an aid sota. So if a husband says to an aid, you know something about my wife and he makes this vow, so he still has to bring that sacrifice. So Rab Chaim says this sacrifice only applies to real witnesses. It doesn't just apply to someone who has any believability. So if this one witness is only believed, but he's not a real witness, so then he shouldn't have to bring that carbon. So the fact that he brings it means that he is a real witness. So that's the second proof that 
that not only is he believed, but he's considered a real witness. And finally, the Rambam in Hilchus Edus, Parakhaf Aleph, says that the rule of Edim Zomimin, so if Edim are clearly found to be lying, someone contradicts that they weren't even there when they said they saw something, so they get punished with whatever punishment they were trying to bring to this person. So the Rambam says that that halacha applies also to an Eid Sota. So if a witness testifies falsely that a woman had an affair, and then it turns out that he's an Eid Zomim, so he has to pay her the value of her Ksuba that he was trying to make her lose. So again, says Rab Chaim, the rule of Eidim Zomimin only applies to real Eidus. It doesn't just apply to someone that's believed for some other reason. So if the rule of Eid Zomim applies to this one witness that testified that she committed adultery, it must mean that he's believed not just as a regular person, but he's believed as a witness. It's considered full Eidus so that there could be a rule of Eidim Zomimin. So this again proves Rab Chaim's point that in this case, the kosher witness is believed as a witness, not just as a regular person, but it has the status of full testimony. And even though the last two proofs came from Sota, the first one was from Egla Rufa, but Rab Chaim says the same principle is going to apply in both of them. So once we prove this from Sota, it equally applies to Egla Rufa. So that's Rab Chaim's proofs for his initial formulation of this idea that there is a difference between a kosher witness and a non-kosher witness, even though they're both believed, but the kosher witness is believed as a witness. It's considered full testimony, as opposed to the non-kosher witness who is also believed, but does not have the status of testimony. So this is Rab Chaim's piece to explain these rulings in the Rambam, the distinction he draws between a kosher witness and non-kosher witnesses in Egla Rufa, and how he also differentiates the whole framework from Hilchos Sota. And the key conceptual point is that even though on the surface it looks similar, the fact that we believe one witness and don't require two witnesses, as well as the fact that we believe non-kosher witnesses, but Rab Chaim says there's a fundamental distinction. In the case of the one kosher witness, he is believed, but as a witness. He has the halachic status of having given testimony, as opposed to the non-kosher witnesses, even though they're believed, but since they're non-kosher witnesses, they cannot get the status of having given halachic testimony.